3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning everyone and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. 7am on Tuesday the 4th of April 2023. My name is Fong and joining me this morning are Ivka and Ashkin. Good morning. 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 <laughs> How is everyone this foggy morning? Good. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes it was very moody outside. It was. Is that like yeah. a scene in Twilight? Or <laughs> like the opening of like... How to Train Your Dragon, all the <laughs> fog gushing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit spooky, but hopefully it means that we'll get some uh, nice weather this weekend. Um, um, this week, till today. Um, <laughs> on the weekend, I was um, on Jajawaran Country in Bendigo, and it's just such a great town. <laughs> Shout out to Bendigo. What were you doing in Bendigo? Um, celebrating my friend's birthday, and so we just ate really nice food. We went to... Um, yeah, see some live music and um, it was, yeah, just a really fun weekend. They've got an art exhibition on at the moment called Australiana mm. and um, I think there were also, it was the closing weekend of Bendigo Pride, um, so they had lots of different little um, activities and, and things happening. So, yeah, that Bendigo, shout out to Bendigo. <laughs> it was really nice to get away actually. Um, how about you both? Yeah, my weekend was great. On Friday night, I went to a gig at Sydney My Music Bowl. It was King Stingray headlining. Oh, my gosh, I love King Stingray. <laughs> and Greta Ray and George Alice. And oh. it was just, yeah, King Stingray are great performers. And I think to see them on such a big stage when the last time I saw them two years ago was at a tiny festival mm. is uh, was really cool. And Greta Ray, I haven't seen her perform live before, and she's very good but um it was really nice uh for her last song she got the bouncer to pass her a trans flag someone was holding it in the front and she spoke for a few minutes on the importance of seeing people and recognizing and that you know their big makeup of her audience and that she appreciates and i just think it was on friday it was just very poignant and important and yeah i really appreciated that she did that yeah definitely it doesn't really take that much to say something but it can have Mm -hmm. a really uh, big effect exactly yeah Yeah. even on friday it was such a beautiful protest there was thousands of people Mm. um who showed up at the steps of parliament and reclaimed the streets it was just such a i wanted to cry it was just (laughs) so gorgeous and everyone everywhere was looking at each other in solidarity like fighting for the same thing it was just really gorgeous too so i think that's like a really wonderful take from friday too from from Greta Ray as well, so mm. it's just really wholesome. <laughs> well, speaking of which, on today's show, we will be replaying a couple of speeches from uh, the Trans Day of Visibility protest that took place on Friday, the 31st of March. We'll be hearing from Amal Leotalu and also um, 3CR's very own uh, Sally Goldner later on. 
Uh, we'll also be um, hearing from Mary Lee Worthy, who joined me uh, for this week's episode of Women on the Line, and we spoke about um, their uh, uh, her um, project Radical Directory that she started with a couple of comrade, comrades, as well as um, the internet, uh, <laughs> internet and capitalism, uh, social media, and things like that. So that's coming up first. Um, Ashkin, you've also got an interview this morning. Yes, I've got an interview with trans rights activist, speaker for Campaign Against Racism and Fascism from the original initial Posey Parker demo, Chris Giddings. And uh, he's a trans man and he's going to be talking about the importance of left wing mobilization and that we shouldn't be afraid to come to the streets and denounce uh, fascists, basically, and um, bigotry. Um, so it's going to be very, very exciting. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And then Ivka, later on at 8 o'clock, you've also got an interview. I do. We'll be joined in the studio uh, by Maddie Weeks, a comedian and producer who is putting on a show for Comedy Festival on at the moment called Queerly Beloved. It's a all-queer comedy showcase lineup happening every night. Amazing. Okay, well, we'll be back with the news headlines right after this. Street CR Community Radio, 855 AM. All right, here are the news headlines for today, 4th of April, 2023. There's a call for housing reform as the housing crisis worsens. One third of all Australians are subjected to the rental market where increasing rent and low vacancy rates will continue to torment tenants for years to come. The National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation estimates around 377,000 households are in housing need, 331,000 households are in rental stress, and 46,000 households are experiencing homelessness. More than 39,000 essential workers in Melbourne and over 52,000 in Sydney are experiencing housing stress. From early 2020 to January 2023, Melbourne rent increased around 10%. Although Southeast Queensland saw some of the biggest rent increases, seeing rent increases of 30% or more, Sydney saw similar numbers with rents rising more than 30% as well. Speaking on Sydney News, Sydney University staff have voted to continue strike action. At the largest nation ter- national tertiary education union meeting ever held at any campus in Australia, 56% of members voted for two more days of strikes, one held on the 31st of March and an upcoming one on the 5th of April. This is the longest running strike campaign for any Australian university in history at 21 months and with eight previous strike days. While Sydney University made $1 billion in surplus during the pandemic, management only offered a teensy pay rise, which strikers are rejecting. As classes get bigger, some tutors are pressured to teach hybrid classes of over 40 students. More teachers are being stretched thin and struggle to uphold high-quality education. Strikers demand that management put limitations on and improve workload control in education-focused roles. This involves unconditional preservation of the 40-40-20 rule, which means 40% research, 40% teaching and 20% administration. Retention of priority, it's internal advertising for professional staff, a real pay rise, an improvement to the offer of 330 new jobs for decasualization and more First Nations employment. 
On the topic of strikes, French workers and students continue protest momentum as nationwide strikes are planned for the 6th of April. This will happen in three days and will mark the 11th day of nationwide strikes. Demonstrations continue in response to the Macron government invoking Article 49.3 of the French Constitution, which gives the government power to pass the bill without a vote, essentially ramming through the pension bill to become law. This will raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. Although the bill has been passed, workers' acts of defiance show no sign of slowing. Electricians and oil refinery workers partake in what is now known as the Robin Hood actions, cutting electricity to the rich and powerful while supplying it for free to the poor in solidarity with movements against the pension bill. Staying on the topic of international workers' strikes, in the UK, Heathrow Airport will face a 10-day strike by security guards during the Easter break. Hundreds of security guards will take part, threatening economic disruption at the UK's largest airport during the start of Easter school holidays. This led to British Airways preemptively cancelling 300 flights. Picket lines outside the airport are being well supported. However, strikers face an attack on their efforts, with the Heathrow Chief Executive John Holland Kay hiring out the labour of agency security staff to to offset strike power. This attack not will not demoralize passport officers as they go on strike since yesterday fighting for better pay and conditions more than 1000 public and commercial services union members are, are working passport officers in England Scotland and Wales will take part in the actions for 5 weeks until the 5th of May and the General Secretary, Mark Sirwatka, said ministers have failed to hold any meaningful talks with us despite two massive strikes and sustained targeted action lasting six months. So Watka goes on to explain how workers are unable to simply ignore the cost of living crisis when inflation, including housing costs, rose to 13.4% in the 12 months to February 2023, leaving 40,000 civil servants to live off food banks. And that is the news headlines for today, Tuesday breakfast. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Ashken, we are going to uh, jump into a song now. This is called Only You and it's by Jemmy Gale.
You're listening to 855 AM. Three CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in how 3CR operates. Copies of the codes are available from our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. Uh, we just heard from Jamie Gale, Jamie Gale with their track, Only You. We're going to replay for you a segment from this week's episode of Women on the Line, where I spoke with Mary Leeworthy, who is the co-founder of Radical Directory, uh, a project aimed at creating a public online space for leftist grassroots activists. In this conversation, we discuss the ways in which big tech companies control and manipulate us through social media, the relationship between the internet and capitalism, and the power of imagining online spaces for community created by and for grassroots activists. What inspired you and your friends, comrades, to create Radical Directory? Some friends came up to me and they said, we've got you know, we're having this issue where we want to stop using social media, but all of the information is on there about what's happening in our communities, what kind of protests, workshops, events are going on. And it's really frustrating. And we need some kind of website or newsletter or something that can help us get that information without having to use these platforms that we hate. And that was just the beginning of a really long conversation that took me personally in a lot of really interesting directions, researching, thinking, chatting with each other about possible solutions to that problem. Yeah, it sounds like something that people say a lot when you ask them about what social programs, social media programs they use or whether they use them at all. It's that like, I don't want to, but I have to, Mm. that feeling that despite what you believe in, it feels like a necessity? I'd I'd kind of describe it as like coercive relationship. Like a lot of people say that they're addicted to social media platforms. And I think, yeah, probably there is some psychological dimension or people talk about dopamine and how the platforms control your brain in this way. But I think people do tend to underestimate the impact that these platforms just having the user login details of all of these people and data about all of these people that you know, having the data about who your friends are, the power that that gives them to be the best platform for you to communicate with those people, for it to be the most convenient way to talk to those people. And that's their choice, is to hold that data and privatise it and and keep it uh, within their control because that is the thing that they take from us and then sell back to us, essentially, with Mm. our attention. Yeah, Mm. I think this kind of structural analysis 
is really empowering and it's like a really critical tool for to undoing these um, relationships that we don't like. Mm. Let's talk about the internet and capitalism, which is a really sure. big topic. <laughs> but how have these two things become so intimately connected with each other? And how does it impact the way that social media and other websites function? And as a result, how that dictates the way we as individuals, as collectives and activists engage with it and with each other? We know that the internet came initially out of work that the United States military was doing to create communications infrastructure that would be resistant to nuclear bombs. And that's why they designed it in this decentralized way that um, can continue operating even if one part goes down. And then at a certain point in history, capital got involved and capitalists were kind of seeing the opportunity to take advantage of this communications infrastructure that was rapidly growing. And I was thinking about, you know, if we're doing like a, trying to analyze it as part of capitalism, like how do we see this infrastructure as like a means of production? I think really seeing it as like communication is so critical to the way that this system functions and all of the transactions, all of the business that's constantly happening. And from a consumer point of view, like from the point of view of each of us using the internet, from the perspective of capitalists, it's like the purpose of the internet is to get us to buy things. Like that's the purpose. And everything else that happens on it from the perspective of the people that own the infrastructure, the means of production, of this production, is kind of secondary. So I guess, like, from that point of view, when we are looking at social media, which is this thing that obviously um, so many of us really highly value, being connected to the people that we love and care about, and then we're thinking, oh, this system is so full of ads, and it's being used to, uh, in a really kind of insidious way, manipulate us into buying products and that and that's somehow surprising but i think if we take a step back and think why is this whole system here in the first place it's to like keep bringing us back as consumers into the cycle of capitalist production and i think when we take a look at it from that perspective it's like actually in order to disrupt it we need to be thinking about how can we reclaim some of that economic power from the capitalists and start directing these systems towards socially good things. Which sounds like such an enormous task. Yeah, it is. It's... How, how do we do that? I think sometimes when we, as consumers, partake in these systems, we feel like whatever they say, it goes. Yeah. And we have no power. We have no say. There's sort of limited amount of control that we have even over our own communication with with the people that we love so how how do we do that i won't pretend that i know the answer to that question but i know that there are some really interesting potential approaches i mean i'm interested in as collectives as communities starting to think about what, what is the infrastructure that we need Early on in the Radical Directory project, we were kind of talking about 
3CR and like what does 3CR stand for like this kind of community radio station that was set up in the 70s and like you know what inspired people to kind of pull this project together and and we know that like this although in the scheme of capitalism it's a small project but when we think about all the incredible information and that's been shared and all the community that's been built on top of this infrastructure that's been created we can see that it's really powerful so i think when even at a small scale community starts investing in building new infrastructure that maybe in this case we're looking at internet infrastructure that has the potential to have like really enormous flow on effects yeah i guess what you've described is the beauty of community and solidarity and grassroots action uh on a local level it can be quite transformative the type of change that we see and in some ways that's the stuff that we have to value and celebrate because those with power and those with capital and means will try to convince you that it's insignificant to stop you from yeah totally and i feel like premise that underlies so much of this kind of political work that we do is that actually like the vast majority of people don't want to be wage laborers you know if it was possible to even imagine another way of living we would take that and it's just because of this like there is no alternative attitude that is just so widely propagandized and if we can find even small ways to disrupt that there's a lot of untapped potential and I think that's a thing to always be keeping in mind when we're talking about this kind of stuff. One of the major issues that we see with the internet and with social media is surveillance. We know that People, communities, vulnerable communities have had, I guess, the internet and social media used against them by big companies like Meta, for example. I think sometimes when we think about surveillance and the internet, we sort of understand what it means. We understand that the data that gets put into whatever program we're using is then used in some way. But I wonder if you could talk us through some of the details about that or if there are things that perhaps people don't really know that you think is really important to share when it comes to surveillance in the internet. The ways that people think about this problem, there's a few different ends of the spectrum that are maybe a bit too far off. One is like not really engaging with that at all, not really caring, like thinking, oh, you know, I've got nothing to hide. Like this is a very common attitude. Um, They can have my data because it doesn't matter, Um, which these kind of attitudes pre-exist the internet as well. And then there's this kind of verging towards paranoia maybe, which is to um, overestimate how much data can be extracted from your activities online. And yeah, I think finding that middle ground is really important because uh, I, I would think about it in terms of like how do we build effective threat models, I guess, particularly in our political organizing. And that way we can start to talk about actually effective ways to mitigate those threats. For example, like 
when you're putting your credit credit card details online to buy something, there's not really a risk because the company that you're sending the credit card details to, they would be in a lot of trouble <laughs> if they didn't keep that data safe. And also, the way that internet security is designed now, we have transport layer security, HTTPS, you might see in your browser. That is really effective encryption. It means that basically nobody in the middle, your uh, internet provider, Telstra, Optus, whatever, they can't see any of the data. No one running the cables. Only you and the company you're sending your credit card details to. And that's, yeah, like that's good. <laughs> but then on the other hand, I think something you were getting at was the kind of incidental data that's being collected when we are using like these kind of online services uh, software that is kind of running online and we're, you know, talking about Meta, Facebook, all of the interactions that we have, uh, social interactions are getting recorded and used in some way, Google, all of your Google searches. And this is, uh, this phenomenon of all this data being collected is called surveillance capitalism. That's the term given by Shoshana Zuboff. And this is, yeah, again, pretty insidious. And when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's because there is this kind of like relationship of consent, maybe, or, you know, not free consent, because, you know, you click accept on the terms and conditions, but maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you just want to talk to your friends or you want to work on a Google Doc or something. But I guess the company is very much allowed to and incentivized to collect a lot of information about you. And generally it's being used to build like up build up like an advertising profile of you to target you with ads. You might object to that. It's a bit different to like exposing you to a risk of criminalization, I guess. And sometimes like if we're worried about that, Maybe uh, police might be able to get access to this data that the companies are holding, but maybe it's not such a risk. And then there's these other kind of, yeah, when we're looking at that, there's different kind of layer of, okay, how do we think about being secure? How do we really prevent surveillance? And that's where I would start talking about end-to-end -end encryption. Yeah, so it seems like it's a lot more complicated. There are lots of different parts and I guess looking at surveillance from different angles and for different purposes. Yeah. I guess the running theme here is that surveillance is used to get us to buy more things yeah. at the end of the day in some form or another to make big companies even richer, mm -hmm. if that's possible. But yeah, I guess, is there anything that you would want to say about the importance of encrypted chat servers and things like that, I think uh, a lot of people in activist spaces know already what they are and, and tend to use them yep. as a preference, but perhaps you could talk a bit more about how it works. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So I, I think it has become a lot more common um, to kind of use apps like Signal as the default, and that's really good because if you consider in perspective, like th these apps have only been around for a few years, really, and so there is a pretty rapid culture shift around, okay, let's really prioritize security. And we can thank like the incredible work that the people creating these apps have done 
to make it an easy experience mostly to work, which in the past it was quite a complicated technology. Like, I don't know if some people might remember like PGP, which was like a way of encrypting your email, maybe got first introduced in the 90s. And it's really kind of uh, has a bit of a reputation of being really tricky, really tricky to get your head around and use. So that's really cool. And I, I, I'd say that like the more and more this kind of these kind of practices can become the default. I'd, I'd say like what that enables is like much better trust and like trust is so important when we're uh, coordinating things online to know that we can talk freely about things. With end-to-end encryption, uh, it's impossible to read the contents of what you're saying if it's not on your device or the device of the person that you sent it to. And that's made possible by mathematical wizardry. <laughs> I, mean, I love that. But I really like what you said. Sorry, going back to what you were saying about trust and I guess allowing individuals to place trust in what they're using in order for their message to be communicated without fear of, like you said, criminality or or any data breach or anything like that yeah. is really important. Yeah, I can't imagine any sort of organising without that initial foundation of of trust and free communication. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really like, um, again, talking about infrastructure, like it's, it's the infrastructure that makes it possible to plan all the kinds of actions that we want to take. That was Mary Lee Worthy, co-founder of Radical Directory, speaking with me for this week's episode of Women on the Line. To catch the full episode, you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We're going to play another song for you now. This is by Imbi and the song is called Conversations. I sound crazy, a little bit strange, but I can't help feeling a little deranged when I think of you these days, when I think of you these days. I can't help it every time I think of you, my heart stops. I swear to God it's better than when the beat, the beat drops in all those songs I listen to on my way to work while flirting with a fantasy of you. I know that both of us are pretty awkward, so getting into med is gonna be very difficult, but it doesn't matter to me, cause maybe I just wanna intimately conversate with you. I don't care if it's romantic, I don't care if there's no love, all I know is that I'm frantic, seems I'm drawn to you from above, I know that it seems pedantic, the things I'm saying don't make sense. All I know is that you're calling Oh, you're calling to my chest It's my center of so many things Femininity and all my creativity All my strength and my foundation is not stationary And you consume all of that You occupy all of that Can't you see that it's ridiculous For me to stop and think of you Or try to make a fuss Cause I know you told me once that you were with a girl and I know that we both want it, but could I destroy her world? Because I swear, I swear, it's not my fault. Oh, I swear, I swear, it's not my fault. Oh, I swear, I swear, it's not my fault. I'm drawn to you, baby, like a thief to a bone. I don't care if it's romantic. 
And that was the song Conversations by Imbi. Today we're going to replay for you some speeches from the Trans Day of Visibility rally that took place in Nam, Melbourne on Friday the 31st of March 2023. Uh, Fa'afa Fine and trans advocate Amal Liodolu speaks about the need to protect trans women of colour and the community at large in this next speech. I'm going to start off with three words and just after after I say one, two, three, if you can repeat after me. These words are protect, protect, protect. One, two, three. Protect, protect, protect. I want you to protect our sister girls and our brother boys. I want you to protect our fafafine. I want you to protect all our trans siblings, our non-binaries and our gender diverse siblings. I want you to protect them all, honey. You know, we look at today and we look at ways that um, celebrate and feel empowered at this very moment as a trans woman of colour, as a Pacifica trans woman of colour. I feel a a mixed bag of emotions uh, running through my head after what we what we've just been through um, and coming into this week it's been a mixed bag you know one feels happy one feels angry one feels disappointed um, and one just you know just feels a bit rattled um, we look at the way that trans women of color are not sitting at the table you only have to you only have to take a look around where are they and why aren't they why aren't they sitting at our tables why aren't they being included in the conversations and that's also to my uh, sister girls and brother boys you know community if we're talking about community you need to include them in the community you need to make them feel safe you need to make them feel wanted that they are part of this com- so-called community. It bothers me that our trans women of colour still sit in the back. We look. We only have to look across the globe and just, you know, the, number, the, the numbers and statistics of trans women of colour, of gender diverse um, identities, you know, the, the numbers in terms of the murders, and I'm going to say that without a trigger warning, because I want you to feel how how disempowering that is for us, how disempowering that is for a whafafine in Western society to look at my sisters and siblings and non-binary across the globe, and still they are being treated and they're being murdered in high numbers. Yeah, yeah shame, shame. You know, we only have to look at here in Australia, where is the data of our, you know, of our trans siblings? You know, those that are incarcerated, those that, you know, there is, there's been nothing said about them, but they happen. The murders do happen. I look at my good friend, uh, Maya Pistario, who people kicked over a big fuss a few years ago and still to this day, nothing's been done to elevate that pain that her family 
Yes, shame, shame. Or we look at the 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 um the our our Thai or our Asian contingent. Um, what's your name? Bruno Pisano, excuse me if I've um, mislabeled or got the name wrong. Where where was the justice for that? Yet we let these white white cisgendered men get away with a lot of these things that happen to our women. That's not good enough. That's not good enough for us as community. That's not us for us that we so could go, oh, you need to be sitting at our table. Well, where the fuck are they? Why the fuck are they sitting at our tables? Like I said, I feel a mixed bag of emotions coming in today. I'm angry, because you know why? We're not, we're, we're not done. We haven't been accounted for. And like I said, the data, where is it? Where's the data in regards to my trans siblings being murdered in prisons here or being misgendered or so forth? Where is it? Nothing. So I think we need to do a better job. I think we need to step it up. Step your pussies up. Step, step your cocks up. You know what I'm saying, honey. Step the motherfucking up. You know, and allies, it's really great. But don't just be a word. We want you to stand for us. We want you, like I said at the beginning, to protect us. Protect, protect, protect. I don't want you to... Let that go from your mind. Because like I said, my siblings are murdered at a constant rate. And some of them are not even accounted for. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Shame. shame. You know, the fact that we have to fight or we have to try and get acknowledgement for a day. You know, we should be acknowledged 365 days a year, honey. Yeah. You best better believe it. And those neo-Nazis that want to come for us, please, we have always existed. We are going to continue to exist in power, whether you like it or not. make sure that we have everybody, and I'm saying everybody, at that table because I said, as I said, where's the statistics? There's nothing for trans women of colour. There's nothing for our indigenous sister sister girls and brother boys. I don't speak for, on behalf of them. I'm just wondering, what are we doing to help protect our siblings? So like I started at the beginning of, of, of my conversation, I'm going to end with those three words. And I want you to step your pussies and your cocks up. And I want you to elevate these words and amplify it. Protect, protect, protect. One, two, three. Again. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. That was a powerful speech from 
Fa'afa Fine and trans advocate Amal Liotta Lu uh, speaking about the lack of justice for trans people in this country. This speech was uh, at the Friday's Trans Day of Visibility protest that took place in Nam. And later this morning, we'll also be hearing from Theresia's very own Sally, uh, who also spoke at the same event. We're going to play another song for you now. This is by Moju and it's called Something to Believe in. There is very little faith that I have left in us and very little proof that I have seen that there is heaven up above. Very little of heaven above Despite my odds I just don't learn An empty cup Can't say your thirst Despite my odds I just don't learn An empty cup Set your thirst 
You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We're joined, we're going to be joined by Chris Giddings. So right now we are facing an escalation of targeted attacks against trans people. Courtesy of the growing and organised far right, more and more conservative parties are being elected into government positions. Think the fascist prime minister of Italy, Georgia Maloney, Sweden's neo-Nazi party voted into the mainstream, as well as the rise of far right personalities like Candace Owens and Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson and Posey Parker. They're all actively organising against trans rights. This seemingly unopposed injection of the far right in our politics and media consumption has given space for more ordinary people to take up these twisted ideologies. I'm joined by trans rights activist Chris Giddings, who spoke at the Posey Parker counter demo for the campaign against racism and fascism. He was also a 2020 council candidate for the Victorian Socialist and a red flag newspaper writer. Hi, Chris. Hi, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Good, thanks. Awesome. Well, let's just get into it, I guess. You also were a speaker for the abortion rights rally last year that saw 15,000 protesters talking about how abortion rights is also trans rights and amazing things like that. I guess in context of the first Posey Parker counter demo in Melbourne, how successful did you think that was? Well, I thought it was a huge success. There was hundreds of people that came out to oppose uh, transphobia on the far right. And I think that it's really important that that happens because it gives people a sense of confidence. Um, Because the alternative is just having um, uh, people like Posey Parker appear unopposed, um, feel pretty confident that their uh, views are just accepted um, in society. But it also means that um, the uh, neo-Nazi groups that were out there defending her um, and uh, literally sea-keeling on the streets Mm -hmm. of Melbourne um, couldn't just get away with that unchallenged. I think that if they were just completely unchallenged, that would um, both be uh, really unfortunate in the sense that it demonstrates to people who oppose the far right that... They are growing in power and unchallenged, but it also uh, allows them to build their forces. Yeah, definitely. And we saw this actual protest in Melbourne affect, you know, the world internationally. Um, Did you kind of want to speak on how the Melbourne protest against Posey Parker uh, affected Ateora and, you know, uh, Friday's, even Friday's trans visibility snap protest? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, like... The protests that followed uh, Melbourne against Posey Parker in Tasmania and um, New Zealand, they really uh, demonstrated that people were a bit shaken up by seeing what happened Mm -hmm. in Melbourne, uh, specifically seeing, like, the um, neo-Nazi forces um, being entirely defended by police. I think it gave a lot of people a sense of urgency that... Uh, it's necessary to fight uh, to defend trans rights right now and that things don't get better unless we fight back. Mm. Uh, but it also, I think, brought a bit more attention to some of the uh, disgustingly transphobic politics of Posey Parker, which has um, you know, encouraged more people to participate in these um, protests and um, you know, feel like something has to happen now. Yeah, definitely. So I guess 
drawing from the lessons of history and how we can apply that to the now and for any sort of left-wing person that wants to get into activism, well, how has the left quashed Nazis and the far right before? Well, I think a really good example is uh, the Reclaim Australia movement that happened in 2015. Uh, a group of neo-Nazis called the United Patriots Front, um, led by figures like Blair Cottrell, who have publicly uh, stated that they would like to see a picture of Hitler in every classroom in Australia. Um, mm. These groups organised um, anti-Muslim rallies uh, that were initially quite large, um, hundreds of people coming along to them. And by consistently counter-protesting them, it made it impossible for them to just carry on this narrative of, oh, we're just a group of concerned mums and dads. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, like, made it impossible to ignore that these people are neo-Nazis. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was important because it meant that uh, some of the people who were less willing to go to these rallies when they were publicly and clearly neo-Nazi rallies. Um, that actually made it harder for them to continue to build those forces. And so that movement got whittled down from um, up to like 500 people coming out on the street down to um, the most they could muster a few years later was you know, 40 to 50 people. So I think it really matters because it crushes... Um, the confidence of some of the basement dweller types, the people who are like try to be a bit more respectable but still go to these rallies. And it means that it's harder for them to build an audience that they can relate to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess, like, yeah, I think that's so true. Even you think about Friday's trans visibility protest to reclaim the streets, there was, I think, only one person part of the fascist movement that was there but you know was basically uh, pushed off to the side and it, it just goes to show that the rising confidence of ordinary people and protesters means a lot for um, changing the reality of the world that we live in I think that's yeah that's such a great um, example of how we can fight back so I guess collectively what can we do to you know what can we do next um, to sort of quash the fascists and s stop that from happening again and stop them from being galvanised and emboldened? Well, I think the most important thing is to organise the left because it's pretty clear that these uh, far-right um, activists, they gain a lot of confidence from the fact that things are being pushed to the right in society generally, like the attacks on abortion rights in the US. That's clearly given a lot of confidence to... Um, anti-trans bigots, anti-gay bigots, um, and the far right in the US. And I think that's also flowed on to Australia and other places across the world. And so building a fight back to, you know, uh, win more rights for um, LGBTI people, win more rights for um, migrants and non-white people, win more rights for the working class and the unions, the more that our side builds, the stronger we are to actually be able to both challenge these people when they march in the streets, but also challenge the disgustingly misogynistic, racist, transphobic society that allows these people to come together and for their ideas to have any kind of resonance. And one way that we're building the left is... Uh, 
this Thursday will be the start of the Marxism Conference, which is the largest uh, socialist conference in Australia. It's over a thousand activists, some from across the country, some from across the world, gathering to talk about how we build our side, how we fight back against an unjust system and discuss and debate what the next steps are. Awesome. Yeah, I was also just looking at that because um, you're also an organiser for the Marxism Conference, which is really interesting. I saw that there was a session called the Far Right's Crusade Against Women and Trans People. So if listeners are interested in learning more um, and meeting left-wing people, um, you can definitely head to that session. I think that's on maybe Friday during the week, during um, during Marxism Conference. Um, definitely. Well, thank you, Chris, for your time and your answers. Um, hope you have a lovely day. Thank you for having me. Um, no worries. Well, if listeners also want to tune in to our show, Yena Pasaran, on Thursdays from 4.30 to 5 p.m., we talk about um, how to fight against fascism and how to build the left, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Koko puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Koko ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual. Knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au.
I'm Jane Clifton, author, musician, actor, marriage celebrant, author of The Address Book. I've always been fond of 3CR, and not just because they played the song by my band stiletto, Woman in Trouble, 50,000 times. I was grateful for that, but that was a few years ago. Here I am again after all these years, and so is 3CR, still supporting musicians and writers and people with ideas to share. Keep going, 3CR. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3am on digital and online 3cr radical radio Maddie Weeks is a Melbourne-based comedian and producer with two shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Maddie is producing Queerly Beloved, an all-queer showcase full of the stories and voices that need to be heard. Maddie is also performing alongside Marin May in their double bill show, Good Hang. Thanks so much for joining us, Maddie. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me. This is so nice. <laughs> uh, so firstly, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into comedy? Oh, wow. Okay, so hello, everybody. My name is Maddie. I got into comedy because I was always just obsessed with uh, TV, like the TV comedy shows of the past, like Good News Week and... Um, I can't think of anything else. Just good news <laughs> week, honestly. Um, so I always used to stay up late watching that. And mm-hmm. then uh, one year in my town, uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow came to my city. And my friend was like, we should go see it. So we went along and we watched it. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. That is, <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, I definitely need to, you know, do that for the rest of my life. And yeah, then I just started doing open mics and... I started in Canberra and then I decided to move to Melbourne to chase my dreams in March 2020, which, as you know, not great (laughs) timing. (laughs) You know, as a city slicker who's always been around the comedy festival, it is very nice to know that Roadshow is making a difference and does reach people that may not get to see comedy otherwise. So that is that is very cool. Um, so one of your shows, the fabulously named Queerly Beloved, mm-hmm. is an all queer lineup comedy showcase. Uh, how did Queerly Beloved come to be? Yeah, so Queerly Beloved is the brainchild of myself and my partner Ainsley. It came about. Um, it was 
Comedy Festival 2019, I think, and I was doing a spot at a lineup show during the festival, and it was kind of a, it was a bad crowd, it was just a bad night, everyone kind of bombed, but it turned out that there was a reviewer in the crowd, um, and in the review, he wrote that, um, you know, said nice things about everyone else, and he said, it was all going going well until Maddie Weeks came on stage with some gay jokes and lost the support of the older audience, and... <laughs> I couldn't believe that that was allowed to be written, and I really took it quite hard. I was like, oh, it wasn't my fault. Like, should I have held back? Um, and my partner was kind of like, nah, look, you know what? There's no spaces for queer people during the festival to just tell their gay jokes and not have to worry about, you know, offending <laughs> the old audience or some reviewer in the crowd. Um, we should we should just change that. We should make a space where it's all queer uh, comedians and, you know, most of the audience are coming along uh, queer themselves or allies. It's going to be a safe space and a really nice space for people to perform. Um, so yeah, we kind of were like, all right, if we want to change the, <laughs> change the, the industry, we've got to do it. Um, so yeah, we, we listed it in the festival in 2020, unfortunately did not happen. Uh, but we had our first show in 2021 and it's been great. It's been going really well. And it's been some of the best gigs of my life. They're so sweet. And, all the audiences are so lovely and all the queer acts are just so funny. Like, it's the best time. It's really amazing that you kind of took something that is horrible and negative and mm. reclaimed it and sort of, yeah, like you said, are the change that was required and it's, yeah, disappointing that you felt like you needed to in the first place. Mm. Um, so as a performer, first of all, and for people that you get on the lineup what do you think it is about having that from like from the outset having such a queer friendly space like what do you think that gives you as a performer oh it definitely gives you a lot more confidence and I find that people who come to do queerly beloved like usually if you're doing your set at like a pub or any other gig you have to kind of explain what you're talking about Mm -hmm. you have to kind of like give everyone a quick you know gender 101 or a quick (laughs) sexuality 101 before you do your jokes but in these spaces like you can tell that there's such a shift in the audience like you'll start doing a joke that usually takes like a few minutes of exposition and the audience get it immediately because they understand like they're part of the community so I find that you can do some jokes that you can't do um in other spaces and Mm -hmm. a lot of acts I've had on um are kind of talking about their identity for the first time on stage at Queerly because they feel safe to do that, which is so nice to see. Um, I love that. And I, I 100% think that that's kind of what it's all about, you know, giving people space and making them feel safe to talk about what they actually want to talk about that they might not be able to do, you know, at a pub open mic, you know. Mm. Um, and it's always just so well received. Like, everyone that comes along to Queerly, like, they know what they're in for and they're here to support you. And it's always just such a kind and loving environment. So I find that acts are really, like, doing jokes that are more representative of who they actually are and, like, every part of their identity, not just the one, you know, that's in their normal, you know, five-minute pub set. It's mm-hmm. really nice to see. I think with comedy, if you were to tell someone that you were doing it, often people are like, I don't know how you could get up on stage and do that. And so I think a big step in that would be creating spaces where 
people can be their truer self and talk freely. And I think that's really, really important. And we do need more of those spaces. Um, less pub comedy. No, actually, <laughs> yes. no. Down. Better, better, better <laughs> pub comedy, not less. Yeah. Um, so what do you think it means for the audiences that come along? Because as you said before, you think a lot of the audience um, identifies as part of the queer community as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, what do you think they get from it? 100% that I think that the audience in my, like, we've done a couple of festival runs and the feedback I've gotten from the audience is that they feel they're not like on edge when they're watching the comedy, like Mm. at some gigs, not like most gigs in Melbourne are fine, but there are a couple where a queer person might go along in the audience and they're so worried that their identity is going to be a punchline. Um, especially members of the trans community at the moment, it's very like a edgy topic in comedy. Um, so I find that audiences have come along and they're already at ease when they sit down because they know that this is an all queer lineup. This is a safe space for them. No one's going to make them feel bad or make fun of their identity. Um, and I've, yeah, had a lot of feedback from audience members being like, I, you know, we, pick this show every year because we know that you know it's going to be a great night of comedy we're going to see lots of people that you know telling things on stage that I can relate to like it's people seeing their stories and like their identities represented on stage which is really important I think often times the members of the queer community might not see you know people like them on stage and I think it's really important to have that visibility so you can go along and you know see all these incredible queer acts. I wish I had that when I was starting comedy. I was mm. like, you know, I, was, I thought I was straight when I started comedy, to be fair. But, <laughs> um, whoopsie. Uh, would have been really nice to see a bunch of, I don't know, queer comedians on stage. Maybe I would have figured it out sooner. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, as you've touched on the trans community, I know that on Friday you had an all-trans lineup and on a particularly important day of trans visibility. Can you tell us a bit about that show and what it was like? Oh, that show is absolutely incredible. Um, we were always going to have a show with an all-trans lineup for Trans Visibility Day, but obviously in the lead-up, things in Melbourne got a little bit hectic um, and we realised how important it was mm. to have this show. And it was like there was a rally just before the show um, for, you know, Trans Visibility Day, kind of a Reclaim the Streets vibe. Um, and there was like 5,000 people there, and it was incredible to see that amount of support coming out, especially after the terrible events of, like, the past few weeks. Um, and we did that show, and we just had, like, such a... Like, we had the... It was the biggest night of the show so far. There was so many lovely people in the audience, and it was just... I felt like it was such a display of, you know, trans like trans courage and trans like power it was incredible we had an all trans lineup and everyone smashed it not only are they very funny comedians like they were up there just you know telling their story and that's something that some people want to take away from them that like I know some people out there want you know trans voices to be silent but we really made that show as like a like a declaration that we're not going anywhere we're not going to be Mm -hmm. silent and like it's so important for trans stories to be told and uh, like we're so passionate about making space for that so that night was really nice it was like a reminder that you know we're like things out there are kind of scary at the moment but you know there's still a lot of lovely people out there and the the trans comedians on the lineup are some of the funniest ones in Melbourne (laughs) so uh, I felt it felt really nice it was a very important night I think for everybody yeah and I think to have a a time of that day that's about 
laughter and joy mm-hmm. and celebration instead of, you know, have, having to, you know, fight and protest, mm-hmm. which is important and we all need to stand together. Yeah. But to also then have the, an, uh, yeah, a joyous space. Exactly. I think is really, yeah, really yeah. good as well. Yeah. Um, so you're also performing in a show yes. <laughs> at Comedy Festival uh-huh. um, with Marin May, Good Gang. Good hang. Good hang. Sorry. But we're also a good gang. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, we should have called the show that. Is it too late? Next year. Next oh, year. next year. It can That's be the right. sequel. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. Um, what can people expect from this show? Oh, so this is, yeah, it's a split bill show. So we'll be doing about 25 minutes to half an hour each. Um, and it's going to be just like us doing our best material. Like, it's like... It's kind of like that in-between step of both of us doing a solo show next year. So we're really like trying to like get it together. And also, I love Marin. We love hanging out. Like, come <laughs> along. Like, we're going to have the best time. It's at 5.15. What else are you doing? 4.15 on the weekends. What? We are the first person on the comedy festival listings website. Because <laughs> who else would do a show at 4.15? Come, it's literally just a hangout. Like, come, grab a drink chill out um Marin and I will be doing you know our best jokes for you it'll be a really really nice you know afternoon and then you can go get dinner go see <laughs> all the other shows in the festival you know it's gonna be great it's at Storyville which is a great pub I love it so much if you haven't been check it out fairy tale themed so cool um it's gonna it's gonna be fun yeah, a nice little appetizer before you go into the rest of your evening. Exactly. So people should definitely check that out. Um, we are running out of time this morning, but I did just want to uh, ask if you had any other recommendations for the rest of the festival. Oh, yes. Well, uh, running at the moment at 5.15 at Storyville, there's an incredible comedian, B. Bubbo Skirler, doing her solo show called House. Would recommend that. Um, I also recommend Daisy Webb. She's doing her first solo show uh, opening uh, on the 14th. It'd be great. And tonight, if you're listening, you should go uh, see Frankie McNair or Emma Holland. They're, they're two very, very funny comedians. And I, you can have a great time at their show. So please go check it out. Also, Queerly Beloved's on tonight. <laughs> forgot about that. Sorry. Come to that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Maddie. I really appreciate it. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Uh, so we've been chatting with Maddie Weeks. You can catch Maddie performing at Storyville in Good Hang from the 11th of April to the 23rd of April. And you can see the ever-changing lineup of queer comedy every night except Wednesdays from now until the 23rd of April at Trades Hall. Head to comedyfestival.com.au for more information. When disaster hits a group of islands scattered around the ocean like Tonga, it is evident how the responses and actions can be difficult. For these multitude of uh, beings have no idea what to do, plus no equipment or tools to work with. And the impact will show on everything, physically, mentally, financially, and people due to being uninformed and unequipped. So maybe this is, um, this is a question for the Tongan government. How can you manage situations like this better in the future? Subscribe to 3CR, informed, articulate and alternative. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 
Salofalava, Malo Elele, Kiorana, Fakalofalahiatu, Kiora, Isa Bulevinaka, Aloha, Woman Jacka, and Hello. This is PX Fano on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio, the voices of our community, talking Kwe Pacifica, talking us. Saturday afternoons, 1.30 to 2 o'clock, only on 3CR. Join us as we share the stories of our diverse people, from arts and culture to news and opinions and information about our community, for our community. As a collective, we are all proud Pacifica diaspora, advocating for our people from the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. This is presented by the Pacific X Collective and produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne. You're listening to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We're still joined in the studio by Maddie Weeks, comedian and producer of Queerly Beloved. Just before you head off, Maddie, we were hoping that you could share uh, which comedians you have on the lineup this week. Oh my gosh, this is the biggest week yet. Tonight we have some incredible acts. We've got Donna Collins, Bebo Bo Skirla, Matt Barron, Mary Ellen, Ashley Appup, and Elise Phillips. And on Thursday, we have the incredible Kirsty Webeck joining us. And on Friday, we have probably our biggest lineup uh, ever. <laughs> we have incredible New Zealand comedian Chris Parker. We've got Annie Louie. We've got Nick White. And we have a guest that was on the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala that I can't name. But let me tell you, you don't want to miss it. It's a Friday, 7th of April. <laughs> the suspense. That is a big lineup. Mm. Um, I'm personally very excited. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. And everyone should go check out Queerly Beloved. Yes, thank you so much much we are going to play a song for you now this morning we are playing feet don't fail me now by joy crooks
That was Feet Don't Fail Me Now by Joy Crooks. Today we've been featuring some of the speeches from the Trans Day of Visibility rally that took place in Nam, Melbourne on Friday 31st of March. 3CR legend and trans activist Sally Goldner speaks on the fight against Nazis and trans rights. Really doesn't need much of an introduction. She is one of our great trans elders uh, in Melbourne and she's also one of Melbourne's greatest bicons. I'd like to welcome Sally Goldner up to the stage. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, everyone. I, too, very much start by acknowledging the original inhabitants of these lands, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunurong Boonwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations. Hello to any Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any First Nations people here today. And I acknowledge that all the lands were stolen and never ceded. And I would add that whilst Melbourne is the climate diverse capital of the world, and that hasn't deterred you from coming, we are the gender diverse, sexuality diverse and all round diverse capital of Australia, so called. I speak today from many perspectives, including the one I was particularly asked, being a trans person of Jewish background. Shabbat Shalom. And Lachayim to life. And for next week, happy Passover. Seriously, those three of my four grandparents thankfully had the foresight to leave continental Europe in the late 1920s, early 1930s, and head to safer places, all ending up here on this big island. I honour all migrants and refugees here today, including queer, trans and people of colour. All parts of my identity and the total person I am, including but not limited to trans, bi plus and neurodivergent, and wrestling fan. <laughs> it is Wrestlemania on Sunday and Monday after all. Hell yeah. Help frame my speech today, more in a second. My grandparents made the sacrifices to leave the lands of their birth for a reason. They wanted future generations of our family to live safely, happily and achieve all of our potential. Maybe I felt the events of two weeks ago in my DNA handed down from two generations back, even if I wasn't physically at the events not far from here. Read the scenes I saw, I felt like others, shock disbelief and anger. All the emotions we have all felt over the last two weeks are valid. I have chosen since to channel those emotions into action and also take a call to action. Trans people need more people in the broader community of cisgender people, not just to be allies to trans, but to make sure they talk to other cisgender people and strengthen allyship overall, while still always being guided by trans people. Trans people are resilient and awesome. I sometimes call this day Trans Awesomeness Day. All the same, we cannot carry the load ourselves and nor should we be asked to do so. 
I thank the Allies who have acted to support me and other trans people. I thank the Victorian state politicians who have spoken up after recent events. However, we do need more Australians to write to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and urge him to take swift, concrete actions. I send a message to Prime Minister Albanese. Statements, flags and marching in Mardi Gras. And by the way, please wear something a little more sparkly next time. Thank you. Those are good symbolic starting points, but will not embed the ongoing substantive change needed for trans and people and families to achieve full equality. The first step I call for is a national trans and gender diverse advisory group that has direct access to federal cabinet. I had to add to this that yesterday I received a letter regarding my concerns about Medicare reform stating, and I quote, the Department of Health and Aged Care is currently consulting with the Australian Society of Plastic Surgeons and other relevant clinical colleagues, no mention of consulting with trans people. We feel immensely frustrated that we are being spoken about, spoken for or being abandoned. We are part of Australian society and community. We need that direct voice into government so all trans and gender diverse people on this big island and surrounding smaller ones, whether city or rural or any intersection, can move faster towards the equality that is our birthright. My conclusion, yay for the trams and the trans. Trams rights now. I said wrestling was a part of me. Here's a word from two uh, philosophers of that genre. Me and all of my communities will achieve what we want in our lives and if a bunch of candy-ass jabronis in crap sun hats think they are going to stop us, then they can check right into the pink, white and blue Smackdown Hotel. Thank you, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And on this day, Trans Day of Visibility 2023 from my hero, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I say that like our siblings in New Zealand who did so well, Trans and Allied 316 says we're going to whip your ass. Hell yeah! That was Sally Goldner speaking at the Trans Day of Visibility rally that took place last Friday. You can tune into Sally every Sunday on 3CR's Out of the Pan from midday till 1pm. Amazing. And so we are going to be playing a really special song that I handpicked. It's called The Glue Song by B-Badoobi. And she came to Melbourne like last year on tour and now basically is on tour with Taylor Swift, which is really, really cool. Uh, she's a UK Filipino artist and it's just a beautiful song to wake up to your morning to. I hope you can listen to this while you're on the tram or while you're walking to uni or work. This is Glue Song by B-Badoobi. Thank you. 
Glue song by B B D B. Thank you for listening to Tuesday Breakfast. Oh, she wants to play one more time. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thanks to Chris Giddings for talking about the importance of left-wing mobilization to fight against the right, fight for trans rights. Thanks to Maddie Weeks for producing Quilly Beloved and giving us a little a little sneak peek of what's to come. And also thanks to Sally Goldner for that little snippet about the Trans Day of Visibility Rally. This was Tuesday Breakfast. I'm Asha Kin. I was joined by Ivka as well and Gab. And tune in to 3CR Breakfast tomorrow at 7am and stay tuned today for Accent of Women up next. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.